Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. At any given moment, only 5% of your audience that you're reaching are actually like in market for your product, actually looking to purchase your thing. 95% are not. They either have your thing or they're living their life. So then when we realize that, it's like, holy cow, we've been hammering 100% of our audience with buy, 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 product, offer, urgency. Here's a feature, stretchy shorts, 20% off, next 15 minutes only. And how irrelevant that was to 95% of our audience. Wistia is a complete video platform that lets you make high quality videos fast right in your browser. Record your face and screen, use AI to write scripts, even add background music. Try Wistia for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Marketing Millennials. Today, I have Preston Rutherford on the podcast, one of the co-founders of Chubby's, one of my favorite brands out there. And if you don't know Chubby's, you got to go subscribe to their emails just to see how great their emails are or go see how great their website is. And they've been building brand for a long time, so you got to go check it out. But I want to first introduce Preston and ask him, how did he start Chubby's? What's the backstory? And then we'll get into how he built such a great brand. Daniel, awesome. Pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. I think this will be fun. And um, I appreciate the kind words. I think to your question, gosh, this was now back in 2011, so a while ago, when we started thinking about what Chubby's could be and whether or not it should be. And I think just like specifically to answer your question, there were four of us who went to college together. We were great friends. We realized we really either were not good at or lost interest in you know, working for the man, quote unquote, and thought it would just be the coolest thing in the world to be able to start something. And, you know, we weren't computer science majors or anything like that. So we couldn't go out and create the next social app, but we liked making people laugh. <laughs> we felt like there was the opportunity to kind of flip quote unquote men's fashion on its head. You know, if you put your back, put yourself back in 2011. It was a very different vibe. It was very much more kind of like serious and uh, you had to look a certain way. It was all much more like exclusionary rather than, rather than the opposite. We kind of thought, gosh, there's so much room just to like be the opposite of everything that was going on. Uh, and then, you know, we were fans of shorter shorts. So we all like either played rugby or soccer or whatever it might be. And there just, there was a gap in the market. So we just kind of thought, well, shoot, let's, let's just try it. Let's see if we can sell some stuff to our friends and it kind of took off from there. It was a nights and weekends thing for a pretty long time. And then, and then it kind of became clear that, gosh, we should spend some time on this. But those were some of the, the early days in terms of how it got started. I want to go into the chat today because I know when you first started Chubby's, the main focus was just sell, sell, sell. How can I get direct response? And then you f started noticing the importance of brand and stuff like that. So could you go down that journey of how you started thinking more on the brand side and started flipping from 
just doing direct response. I think that was one of the key journeys that we went down across the whole life cycle of the business. So we founded the business in late 2011, and then the business was acquired uh, in late 2021 and is still still humming today, part of a public company called Solo Brands um, on the New York Stock Exchange. So, you know, taken a long time. <laughs> but to your point, we started, I think as a lot of brands are getting started today and, and have gotten started is, um, you know, you start trying to find those awesome little arbitrage opportunities on, on the paid social platforms, seeing if you can eke out a few basis point increases in click-through rate or your CAC or your ROAS or whatever it might be. And we did that for a long time. I think we got pretty good at it. And for a while, it worked. I, mean, I think when you're a certain size, it works. And then I think you know a lot of people talk about the good old days of Facebook advertising, right? When you could see some crazy performance, I mean, really crazy performance, there was the opportunity to grow very, very quickly, reach a bunch of people, and then get them to purchase. But I think what we saw as we grew our business, um, as we started to start to think about, well, gosh, are we ever going to be a profitable business? Started to sell across multiple channels. We realized the playbook that got us to where we were, which was, you know, let's call it 95% of our marketing budgets going to DR, 5% going to, let's call it quote unquote brand. And that would be probably the first thing to get cut anytime there was a, uh, you know, we missed our monthly number. There was a, huh, this maybe isn't working as well as we thought it would. I mean, we were, ROAS was still going up sort of thing. So we thought we were crushing it in a lot of ways. And then we would just take more of a holistic look at our business, for instance. And at least for the digital business, we started seeing that, gosh, maybe ROAS was going up. Return on ad spend. It's kind of like an ROI measure. But the percentage of our new customer revenue coming through unpaid channels or owned and organic channels, which are the, which is the source of, you know, I call it the free money machine, which is the, the thing that you want to be growing over time because that's where the profits come from. The percentage of new customer revenue coming through, through those owned and organic or unpaid channels was, was progressively going down. So the paid component of our business was becoming a bigger and bigger piece of how we were generating customers. And the problem with that that we realized is, gosh, if, if we turned off our ads today, our business would be in a, a really bad place. And our business or our goal is to do the opposite, to be able to turn off ads and kind of be fine, right? Because you've built up that brand. And so then it was the first step was just sort of like, okay, what can we do? How do we actually define what brand is? And for us, it was kind of like a delineation of branding being, you know, the, the logo, the, the vibe, the positioning, the box design, the funny videos we might make. And then there's like a financial or objective definition of brand, which is what you have if you were to turn off all of your ads. Like, what is your owned and organic customer acquisition looking like? What's that resilient baseline of revenue that you have in your business? And it seemed like that was one of the things that we realized, gosh, we, we really haven't been focusing nearly enough on that. A, because I think in a lot of ways, it's harder to measure, especially when you grew up on the back of like Meta Performance DR and kind of pride yourself on being a great media buyer and things like that. So it was that. That was a little bit of the background and then a realization of, gosh, we might need to make a change. The TLDR is that it, it generally helped us once we kind of figured out how to do it correctly, where it was very kind of 
metrics driven, data driven, rather than you know, brand building, brand advertising just being sort of like this thing that is somewhat ethereal, hard to measure, hand wavy. I mean, we at our in our sort of the core of our DNA were performance marketers who needed to find ways to generate you know, more contribution dollar generation, more profit generation, because what we had been doing wasn't really doing that. So we had to find a new path. So then that's kind of where we got. I like how you defined brand as if you turned off all paid channels, how sustainable is these organic channels like social, email, all these things that you are creating raving fans on. I think that is a, a great way. But I want to go into, because I know there's a an issue right now of, especially in the market today and how hard people brands are getting knocked with be profitable, be more efficient. And the first thing that people, we you said it in earlier, are let's cut brand activities. Let's not do those fun videos. Let's not focus on things that, build a lasting brand how did you figure out how to make that metric driven like you said earlier one of the general themes just kind of boils down to you know long term versus short term and the problem that i see and that we experienced was if you're measuring everything in let's call it your seven day last click one day view Kind of attribution window and attribution methodology, you're missing a large part of the picture of what you're what you're buying when you're spending a dollar. It was our thesis. It is our thesis that when you buy, when you spend a dollar, you're buying something, and it's very important to know exactly what you're buying. So, what do I mean by that? The general idea is the you know platform reported, or maybe maybe you're using a multi-touch attribution tool that is this sort of like short-term, what revenue, what short-term revenue did I buy and whatever my short-term attribution window is. And that's great, but what it's missing out on is what else did I buy in terms of either brand or resilient revenue or long-term business. And what we found the problem is if you're just focusing on that short-term ROAS, short-term, what revenue did I buy, you're fundamentally missing a big part of the ROI or the benefit the potential return that you could be buying. So that was a big thing. So that helped us transition our thinking a little bit more toward, well, I mean, we never got to the place where we're thinking on like a multi-year basis, maybe like more of your traditional brands, let's call it like Coke or Clorox or Clorox or Ford or anything like that. But started thinking outside of the seven-day window, maybe more of like a 90 or 180-day window. And then once we really transitioned out of like a revenue focus to like a contribution dollar focus, which was also a huge transition for us, and I recommend everyone making that transition as soon as they possibly can, we started to think about, okay, how do we think about the leading indicators that are objective that lead to dollar payout over time? And so you started to think about, okay, how do you actually quantify your brand? Because that's where you got to start. Because you've got like this short-term revenue machine that... Is working for some folks it's working and getting better for some folks it's like the performance is eroding and for us we we kind of started to fall into the latter category so we started to think about okay what what are all of the behaviors that people perform online on behalf of our brand that we can start to think about 
if you track all of them, and most of us track all of them, maybe in a very manual like spreadsheet export sort of thing across multiple tabs, like all of the follows I'm getting, all the engagements I'm getting over social, all of my list ads, all of my, uh, like, what does my share of search look like? What are my engaged sessions from branded search? What is... Um, what are my organic sessions looking like? All of these behaviors that you can pretty easily track. The first step for us was starting to just track all of these things in one place, which is which is kind of hard. You know, we had to go through the process of getting like a modern data stack and, and finding data talent, which was you know not every brand or advertiser has that kind of capability, but that was step one. And then it was just kind of like thinking about okay, how how do I think about which of those metrics actually lead to business because that's the key like the key is connecting brand building activities to you know changes in the way people think about your brand which you know we think is directly manifests in the behaviors that people perform on behalf of your brand online engaging with you on socials following you joining your lists all of the things i already mentioned but then it's the process of finding the, the value of these things what is the value of someone doing X versus doing Y? And then can you think about how to you know, move those metrics in a way that you then have like a real KPI? So you know, generally with brand building metrics or KPIs that are discussed are kind of in the realm of like aided and unaided brand awareness. And then these other, you know, maybe more subjective things like what's my brand favorability, how do I stack up on a, like a distinctiveness scale or any other of these sorts of things. And normally that's very survey-based, which starts to get very expensive. So I think the whole idea is starting to think about the fact that our quote-unquote brand, the manifestation of it in terms of a, because it's it, it, fundamentally you change your marketing process from a two-step process, like I spend dollars and then I see that short-term feedback loop or stimulus response. I see that response being revenue I drove and whatever my short-term attribution model is. So two-step process. You know, the biggest brands in the world, they've embraced this three-step process, which we kind of in a stumbly hacked together way, kind of embrace this three-step process, which is you do marketing activities, you then move the way people think about you, and then that translates to, you know, a business payout over time, and that could take the form of like market share or revenue or profit or whatever it might be. But you want to ideally get as close to as possible to like actual PL impacts. So the biggest brands in the world have that capability, and so the idea was how can we kind of like try to apply it to our kind of like smallish brand? You know, we went. Um, you know, we've been around only for a decade, not multi-generations, but that's the general idea. It's like, what are these metrics that quantify brand building that aren't necessarily driving revenue in the short term, but that that represent driving revenue or contribution dollars over, let's call it a longer term period, like a quarter or two quarters. I mean, it's not the easiest thing in the world and every brand might not have the capabilities to do this. There are ways to do it. But it's finding these behaviors that you can effectively use as your KPI or your dependent variable, if you will, around which you're going to optimize, you know, these marketing behaviors. And then being able to like quantify, okay, what's the payout of this thing? What's the cost to buy it? Very much it's just kind of like being a little Warren Buffett <laughs> as a marketer, right? You just kind of like track your stocks. 
track your metrics, kind of have an understanding of what you think the cash flow of that thing, that stock, or in, in like digital marketing speak, like that digital behavior that you want to buy, you know the, the price you're willing to pay and you know the cost to get it. Uh, and then you make your decisions on where you're going to sort of like allocate your capital. And then with your marketing activities, whether it be name your marketing activity, like your audience is going to know whether it be creating content that doesn't necessarily you know, beg for a transaction in the immediate term, but changes the way people think about you, leaves a, a lasting, memorable impression, touches on emotion, allows you to unleash your creativity. What we found is you can't just put that out there and then kind of like hope and pray that you end up seeing some kind of like discernible change in your business. You got to find like the specific metric that you're looking to move and then be held accountable to how you're moving it. And just take a bunch of shots on goal from like a content creation perspective or a partnerships perspective or whatever it might be perspective to just find what's moving those metrics or that metric, do more of what moves the metric and then kind of like rinse and repeat a million times. What is one thing that you did in the brand building space that you saw move the need, move the needle more than you thought it was going to move? So maybe to take a step back, like how do, what is the point of, of doing all this stuff in the first place? I mean, I think the point, and I maybe hearken to the the problem we were trying to solve a little bit earlier in the conversation, but the point of this whole thing is to change the way people think about you so that they'll come to you without being prompted by a direct response ad. And not only do so once, but do so multiple times. And then when that happens, I guess it goes without saying, but just to say it, that's where the more profitable acquisition and the more profitable uh, retention comes from, right? Because you've changed that subconscious or even conscious view of the brand, and then you've built up that that habit. The brands that get bought are the brands that get remembered, right? So changing those memory structures is the key. So that's why you do it, so that you don't have to continue to purchase transactions, which which is sort of like getting into the DR hamster wheel or DR doom. So that's the reason you do it. It's so you get more unpaid acquisition and unpaid repeat revenue. And the way you do that is by by brand building. So that's why you do it. The thing that like tactics wise, the thing I always say is it depends, right? Caveat city, because it totally does like what works for you. And then the advice I always give is it's more about the metrics and the feedback loops and the frameworks and the approach and less about the actual tactics. So let's call it less about the what, more about the how. So the how is finding that kind of like key metric or metrics that you want to move. Maybe it's like share of search. Maybe you're like, I want to take share of search from whatever your number is here to whatever number you want to get it to. And so therefore, I'm going to have my team come up with a bunch of tactics and strategies to to drive that number. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like TikTok follower growth. Maybe it's branded search. That's going to be up to you. But once you have the metric that you feel relatively confident pays out for you in a financial, like has some sort of connection to financial impact, then you can go to town just coming up with all of the tactics and strategies to drive that metric. Like a quick story that I thought was kind of funny for us, like at Chubby's, we thought at the beginning that just getting as many video views as possible. That was the stat that we wanted to optimize for. That was what represented quote unquote brand building. And then that's what we thought would lead to 
financial outcomes. So that then became our metric, total views. We then got really good at that. We ended up going viral a bunch. There was one year, I think, whether or not this was just a PR piece or not, but we were one of the top 10 most viewed brands in the world, which is just crazy across all the video platforms. But then we realized it didn't really drive business. And I think there are brands out there that have experienced something like this, whether or not that's the thing, like video views or follower growth or doing something that actually didn't translate into business. So it's all brand dependent, but that's that was a story for us. So then we actually started to get an understanding of, and it's going to be, again, disclaimer, different for every brand. What applied then, I don't think will apply now, but started to think about, huh, for us, like follower growth was something that like community growth was seeming like there was something there. Like we were finding some interesting things in the data. So then having that new metric changed our tactics, like changed our strategies. So then no longer would we go viral. The content of what we were putting out there, very different because the goal was to elicit a different response. Like campaign objectives on paid media was different. The content that we'd choose to put more investment behind, whether it be time, focus, dollars, changed. So that's just a little like micro example of how choosing your metric is kind of important. And then what we did find is that there were you know, financial benefits that we could identify that unfolded over time. And so that was a very important transition for us. The tactics for us were kind of like, as I mentioned, we're on the content creation side, how we would think about growing this metric in the highest quality way. Now it's not gaming the metric, right? Because you can talk about a high quality TikTok follower versus a low quality, right? I mean, we can use bots and do all these shady things to grow our follower base. That's obviously not how you're going to approach it as a marketer, but it is very important to find that like leading indicator, digital, non-revenue set of metrics that for you, you think and ideally can get an understanding of drive your business, lead to revenue or ideally, you know, contribution dollars if you can get to that. Hey marketers, listen up. Wistia is my best kept secret for creating videos for your business. You can record and edit videos right in your browser and even use their AI to write your script. With Wistia, you can record your face and screen for videos like sales pitches or product demos. And the video editor is pretty much foolproof. Seriously, you've got to check it out. Start creating videos for free at wistia.com backslash millennials. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash millennials. I think a lot of people don't start as a metric first. They just say, hey, I just want to do these brand building activities to make sure we build better brand. It's we did. With That's something. exactly how we started. Yeah. And then you go into more of a, okay, video views. Let's see if this works. Let's do a bunch of things to get video. If it doesn't work, let's go. Let's see what the next thing is. And you figure you just figure those things out. But I think I also think that aligning the whole marketing team, not just brand with that metric is super helpful having, because people don't understand that also the paid channels is a brand building ch channel. It's keeping attention top of, top of mind for a long time while you're building these channels here. So you need to do both. That's why direct response isn't always the best thing on paid because you're getting attention to really what paid is is getting attention 
and your target audience at a, a rate that you you can because social is hard to be like these are the people i want to target with this post which page you could say these are the people i want to target with this type of content so i think it's people forget that i also want to go into one thing you you all did at chubby's that i think makes besides the follower growth and all the thing is i think you were different and challenged to status quo. So how did you think about becoming this? I know you said at the beginning, you were just fun and funny people who wanted to build a fun and funny brand. But how did you think about, because everything in Chubby's, if you, if, if people know Chubby's is the marketing is funny. It's fun in the emails, the, the social is fun. The tone of voice everywhere feels like Chubby. So how did you think, I, we're going to change the status quo with the voice and the people we're going to put in there and the creators we work with. And how did you think about that whole process? Totally. Great question. And maybe just to respond to the thing you said right before that last question, which is just to your point, which is a great one, because maybe there's a misconception here that is paid social can only be used for DR, for instance. Like, like tactically, and Meta even puts out quite a bit of information on this, just like, Bottom funnel, DR, that's demand harvesting. Upper funnel, awareness, reach, that's demand creation, right? And like it's just, it's a full funnel. And the crazy thing is that there's this rule called the 95-5 rule, which broadly, I think it was uh, Les Binet, L-E-S-B-I-N-E-T, is like this amazing person who everyone should look into as just this awesome guy who's thought a ton about marketing effectiveness, balancing like brand and DR stuff, has worked with seemingly all of the big brands, 95-5 rule, which is generally at any given moment, only 5% of your audience that you're reaching are actually like in market for your product, actually looking to purchase your thing. 95% are not. They either have your thing or they're living their life. So then when we realized that, it was like, holy cow, we've been hammering 100% of our audience with buy, 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 product, offer, urgency. Here's a feature, stretchy shorts, 20% off, next 15 minutes only. And how irrelevant that was to 95% of our audience. And I think when we realized that, not only did it blow our minds, but we started thinking about how can we talk to those people in a way they that's actually relevant to them. And... That then made it even more obvious that, gosh, what do they want to see from us that will actually start to imprint on the mind that when I'm ready, I'm going to come to you guys. So that was a big thing that that changed for us. And, and just like the 95-5 rule and encouraging your audience to look up Les Binet, L-E-S-B-I-N-E-T. So then to your point on like tone and approach and you know, who we were. So a couple things. We, at the beginning... As I mentioned before, like it was very clearly like who our enemy was, you know, quote unquote enemy, like who we existed to be different from. It's also like your foil. And so it was very obvious, like that's what they do. This is the opposite. That's what we're going to do. Uh, so they're all about like being serious. We're going to be like the least serious brand in the world. We're going to name ourselves Chubbies. They're all about doing like professional models, super serious photo shoots. We're just going to do photo shoots with our friends, the founders, and they're just going to be ridiculous. And we're going to take photos with our iPhones or whatever. We're just going to make it feel like it's, again, the opposite of a professional photo shoot. 
most of the content we saw online was, eh, here's this product, oh, here's a discount. We're like, okay, no, that's like wasting people's time when they see that in feed. Like how disrespectful that is for a brand to do something like that. Like I'm, I'm being hyperbolic, of course, but kind of seriously, it's like, think about this thing from like a bank account perspective, right? I mean, it's like your audience, the relationships you're building with your audience, any relationship, even in life, right? Is you make investments, like you make deposits, deposit, deposit, deposit. You build up trust, right? That's like the natural thing that we do in our best relationships. And then maybe you make a withdrawal. Like you need something. You need them to be there for you. They show up. Generally, they're only going to do that after you've made a bunch of deposits, right? Add a bunch of value. I haven't really asked for anything in return. That's so obvious, but it's so rare, right? I mean, so many brands, and not that we were ever immune to this, but the general thesis that we had was let's just make so many deposits in the bank account relationship that we have with each individual person in our community and our audience. So that, that translated to let's spend an inordinate amount of time on finding all of the best content people, uh, trying to get better ourselves at it, trying to have every piece of content we put out, try to meet the standard of being the best thing that that person sees all day. Everything should be ideally shareable. Everything should ideally elicit a chuckle. And everything should be aligned with our brand. Our brand equals like the weekend, like Chubby's equals the weekend and all of the manifestations that that elicits. It's like a very singular idea that we've always been trying to hit on. What is that feeling? It's the Friday at five feeling. That's the use case. That's where the Chubby's experience starts. So like, what does weekend mean? Weekend means like freedom from work, from the shackles of the cubicle, all of these sorts of things where you have freedom, where you own your time. So like, these are the stories that we would always tell from a content perspective, but always just making sure that the extent we could, it was it was in the running for the best piece of content that everyone saw that day. And that took a lot of effort, took a lot of people. Oftentimes it's like, let's just get it out there, you know, let's just get the thing out there. Not that that never happened to us, but we tried to hold ourselves to really, really high standards and set really high expectations. And it all kind of came back to us just trying to be consistent. Now, granted, we just basically made content for ourselves because we were effectively our customer. Our friends were our customer. That's who we were talking to. And because of that, it was completely authentic. Like we always just approached every lot of what we did thinking about, this is just like that funny text thread or email thread you have with your buddies. Like that's, that's what we are. That's like the type of content we're trying to create. That's the type of authenticity or fun we're trying to create. So that was very much like a guiding filter for what we did. It wasn't advertising. It wasn't marketing. It was just trying to make our friends laugh and and brighten their day and and be the best thing they saw. And then the tactics or the approach that worked for us was just like very much what was a natural outpouring from us. Not going to apply to every brand. But if it is authentic to who you are and who your product is trying to reach, then, then that's great. But I think those are just a couple of the things that I might take away. Like fundamentally, and again, some of this stuff might sound cheesy, but like it's not. So we just viewed ourselves like our customer, our audience, they were our friends, like legitimately our friends. And we, rather than us being a company advertising to consumers or customers, like that's a very bland corporate relationship where it's like every person that we're talking to is actually our friend. Like that requires a much higher standard. There's an accountability there that doesn't exist if you're just, ah, you're a faceless customer. 
having to face any one of your customers like at happy hour later that day and be accountable to the content you put out there that day, the email you put out there, the product you launched, a social post, that ad. And like they might just call you out if something was like super bad. Knowing that that might happen is like a really valuable filter. So those are just a couple of thoughts or reflections on the question. Every piece of content I put out, it goes through a filter of if I was going to send this to a, a group chat of my best marketing friends, will they think it's funny? Will they think it's useful? Will they think it's educational? And if they they don't, then it's not something I want to share. So I love that you went through the filter of, okay, the, would I send this this picture to my friends? Yes or no? If I share this piece of content, will they think this is funny? Going through that filter. And also when you think like that, that's what people share. People share in text messages, in DMs. So if you can think of the method of, if I would share this, some other people will share this. So if you go through that thought process, it's it helps create better content for your brand. And then that leads to all of the things that we've been talking about from a brand building perspective. I mean, because it it has that emotional resonance, it has that memorability factor, it has that thing that changes the way you think about the friend, if it's in like a normal like life relational context, or the brand. Now, the brand is obviously held to a much higher standard, right? Because fundamentally, they're trying to sell you something, right? So it's you got to be even that much better. And yes, but exactly that. It's all about that. And then it, again, ties back to the brand building piece where it's like, there's creativity there. There's content there that people are are loving responding to that are consistent with who you are your core like singular salient message you know there's there's something there and then you hone it and craft it to drive that one or two or three like leading non-revenue digital behavioral metrics that you're trying to drive i mean that's that's when kind of like the the data the brand building and then the that performance or that metrics driven process. And then ultimately that connection to, you know, ideally increased contribution dollars. That's where all the beauty happens. You said earlier about you, sometimes you would have to get things out quicker, but you always held to a standard of, of what your brand was going to be. One thing that I notably saw is you, you all send a lot of emails, which is great, but, but all the emails come out as funny, so it doesn't feel like you're sending a lot of emails. But how did you, since you're sending that many bulky emails once or twice even a day, how do you have that standard to make sure that every one of those emails goes out as consistent with the brand, meets the standard? What checks and balances were there? So acknowledging first that... We're not perfect. However, having people in like great people, right? I think it all comes back to great people and then great process. So as much as possible, we wanted to get ourselves in a position where we didn't have to get something out. Like we already had the email written. We already have a bank of social posts that have passed through all of our filters, right? Way in advance. That's super hard to do when you're just like running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to build a business. But to the extent possible, doing as much of this in advance where it's done and, and you can just sort of like drip it out is I think the biggest thing, but, but it, it comes to the people like right, who are just like not only very disciplined, 
but then also have this amazing creativity and love and passion for just creating stuff that elicits a response. But then the next thing, right, is having the framework for like, what is the specific metric we're looking to drive? So there's whole alignment around the organization, right? Because two different people could be like, that was awesome. That was horrible. If they're not aligned, especially from a brand perspective. So like, uh, yeah, people process and then like metrics or I wish I could find a P word there, but I don't have it. What is a marketing hill you would die on? There is a way to quantifiably connect brand building to financial outcomes. It's possible. Not only is it possible, it's essential. I mean, unless you're like, you've got like net margins of 50% and you're growing 100% a year, which I know no business doing that, but if they are, my gosh, hats off. If you're not that, I think everyone needs to do this. Everyone needs to figure out this transition. And it's, it's one of the most important transitions that our business made that took us from growing a bit, growing slowly, not really generating any profits at all to starting to figure out how to generate profit and then starting to grow again. And that that's what, you know, in a big way led to the, the very grateful, like a, a wonderful acquisition and continued, you know, out there in the public markets, seemingly doing very well. So I think that's the hill I would die on, which is just like, this is the story I want to tell to as many people as possible because it challenges. It's like in a lot of ways, very consistent with what we did at Chevy's the opposite of conventional wisdom and it's like, okay. And it's a slightly different way of operating, but it is my strong opinion, the right way to operate, the right way to build something that is sustainable and lasting and can actually be more profitable. So I think that's that hill that I would die on. I mean, I'm on your boat, especially I think in the last 10 years, more and more products are becoming more and more commoditized. So, sure. So, there's so many more products and so the access of with like Shopify and even SaaS and engineering, it's so much easier to start a product or start a software. So when a software or a short goes into the market, it's just a short until there's a brand attached to it. And until someone says, I love chubbies, not shorts, that they're not looking for shorts. They're looking for a community and a pair of shorts that they're wearing. And I think right now it's going to even get more and more competitive because the ease of starting something is easy. It doesn't, even though it's easy, it's going to get harder and harder to be successful, but still you, someone can come and build a great brand. And that's why you got to keep building brands. So you don't get eaten away by those small people who are building great brands. So totally. Yep. Well said. Lastly, where can people find you and what you're doing and whatever you want to share? LinkedIn. Yeah, just look Preston Rutherford up. In between, my first and last name will be a little shorts emoji so that you know who it is. And uh, I think that's where you can find me. I'm just trying to write a bit, put all of these lessons, mistakes, countless mistakes into writing that hopefully helps marketers, brand builders you know, better grow their business. Find, find ways to sustainably generate profits over time, better connect with their audience. So that's, that's, I think the main thing. And that's where I'm kind of spending time and where my main focus is. And I know you just, you have a newsletter too, right? So if people can subscribe to that, you're sharing all of there. Absolutely. I think a link to it is on my, my LinkedIn profile page. So yeah, that would be awesome. 
I love the name of it too, Bodacious Brands. I think that's hilarious. So. Oh, thank you, thank you. We're we're yeah, big fans of uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and that was a, a key word in that movie. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a fun word too. Well, thank you so much for joining and sharing your story and your learnings and your mistakes. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Daniel, appreciate it. This was super fun. I hope it was helpful to the folks listening. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.